Welcome to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. This is a space for community, healing, hope, and education around topics of rescue and growth. Our prayer for this series is that it illuminates a deeper understanding of struggles within and around us, as well as God's profound love and redemptive light in Jesus Christ. Hi, everyone. I want to welcome you to another episode of Deep Light. Uh, my, Mark, my name is Mark Davis. I serve as one of the pastors of Park City's Presbyterian Church. And as you listen to the conversation that we're having today, like always, don't hesitate to reach out. If you have any question or you need someone to lo- walk alongside you, or reach out to us. You can reach us at deeplight at pcpc.org, or you can call our church offices at 214-224-2500, and um, somebody will reach out to you. We would love to walk alongside you. Uh, today, we have a great privilege of having with us Kelly Capic, who serves as a professor at Covenant, Theolo- Covenant College. Uh, there is a Covenant Theological Seminary where I went to, but Covenant College. He is a popular professor, speaker. He has written some tremendous books. And today, we're going to talk uh, about limits and just what it means that God has given us limits, mm. and probably also move into some conversation about grief and, and suffering and what that looks like. Um, The purpose of this podcast isn't just to give information. It really is to speak about the transforming power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what that can mean as we understand the way He has made us uh, in terms of strengths, but also with the limits that are also given to us. So, Kelly, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Oh, this is fun. Fun to be with you all. Yeah, well, I know I'm going to learn a lot just in hearing (laughs) a bit of your heart. I would love to start by maybe give us a little bit of bio, just what you've been up to, what your, your own story is and God bringing you to himself into Covenant College. Sure. And then I'd love to know some of the, the burdens behind what has led you to write the things that God has called you and enabled you to write. That's a lot. Yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No. Yeah. Well, let me start with the bio and then you can, yeah. you can decide how, how you want to go. So yeah, I, um, my wife and I uh, just uh, celebrated our 30th anniversary, which okay. was really fun. Uh, got here I'm, fast, didn't it? Yeah, I did yeah, get here yeah. fast, you're right. And, uh, but I was born and raised in a place called Lodi, California. Okay. Some of your uh, listeners will remember Creedence Clearwater Revival. CCR had a song called Stuck in Lodi. That's it. So oh. I was born and raised in Lodi, which is it. great. It's now the Zinfandel capital of the world. That's what they want to be known as. So. <laughs> uh, but I grew up there, grew up in a, a Roman Catholic home. Um, by the time I was in elementary school, my two older brothers and my mom and I all stopped going. My dad uh, stayed faithful. So I was a good kid, but then all of a sudden I hit my middle school years and they were crazy. It really was like people's college years. Mm. Um, and my freshman year in high school, uh, I was just in a ton of trouble. And my brother told me about going to this Baptist youth group and... Um, and I thought maybe that would get people off my back. And I know some kids at party there, so I'll go there. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. one of these huge kind yeah, of things. Sure. And I'd go and still do all my stuff. And they'd have all these activities on Wednesday night. But then during the talk, there could be 60, 80 kids there. And I always felt like the guy was just talking, talking to, to you. me. Yeah. And, um, and I ended up becoming a Christian about six months later. Wow. And it, these are all much longer stories, but I will tell you this because it's a PCA church. It's part of it's beautiful. Is this the youth minister was a guy named Todd Capen. Who had just graduated from Biola and youth ministry, okay. and you and this is partly why you and I both value youth ministry. Poured himself in, so I was converted under his ministry. He ended up learning more theology, becoming reformed, went to seminary, 
has been a pastor forever. Uh, that was in the about 89 when that happened. Long story short, I now have taught both of his daughters at Covenant College. Oh, are you kidding? That's and awesome. It's just a beautiful way of the way God works. And that yeah. was decades later. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, I, I, I became a Christian, and um, my wife and I um, met in high school, went to a couple proms. We got married in 93. Um, we spent, I, I did a degree at Wheaton um, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, mm -hmm. and then University of London. Been at Covenant since 2001. Okay. So... That, that's a lot there. So that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were around? Were you 14, 15 when you came to Christ? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was fifteen, yeah. actually forty-one years ago this Friday, June twenty-third, nineteen eighty-two, through Young Life. Wow, that's yeah. how I came to faith, wow. and um, was blessed to have a man like the one you mm. described, who was so deep mm. in his understanding of the Word, and really just inspired that in me, challenged yeah. that in me, walked with me for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, and you know, maybe this can encourage some of the folks who will hear this. Obviously, God was working in all these kind of things and stories and, and the Bible lessons, but I'll never forget the, the Wednesday when I finally kind of went forward. Mm -hmm. The thing that was remarkable to me is this woman named Sandy Rasmussen at the time. I shouldn't have used her name, but anyway, she was just another youth group member, yeah. and she gave her testimony. And her testimony was basically, I grew up in a Christian home. God's been faithful. I probably haven't really known a day. I didn't know. So it didn't in any way make sense with my life. But yeah. for whatever reason, it was like I thought she was glowing. Wow. And I don't mean this in any negative way, but it wasn't. She was not like a model or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. It was just God. Yeah. And, and I tell that to people who grew up in the church because sometimes they think, well, my testimony is not yeah. this. I'm like, that's what took it over for me. Yeah. For whatever reason, it kind of fits with our conversation about limits or just the normal Christian life yeah. is powerful. It is very and powerful. And I think we forget that. So anyways, I'll never forget that that hearing her testimony for whatever deeply resonated with me. And I it, love the way uh, you described that because it takes me to Matthew 5, just the radiance of Christ mm, shining through in a way that you mm, couldn't have computed yeah. behind the scenes. I had no idea what that meant. Yeah, the Holy yeah. Spirit's doing that work. Yeah. Well, talk to me about your book on limits. Mm. You know, um, the culture that I'm serving in here in Dallas, you know, limits are really kind of looked down on. Sure. You, know, you don't want your limits to be exposed. And yet, when you read the Word of God, power is made perfect in weakness. Mm. God has clearly ordained yeah. that there are going to be limits in our life. We're just not all going to be great at everything. Yeah. But boy, we have rejected yeah. and turned from that so often. So I love what you've done. Mm. It's been such an inspiration in my own mm. life. Talk a little bit about the burden behind that. What led you to write that? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's some personal reasons and some theological ones, maybe the personal, um, two primary personal ones. One is that throughout my whole life, um, and particularly the last 20, it's not an exaggeration to say I've been thinking about this book for 20 years. Mm. And part of it's because so often I'll wake up, not, no more like the end of my day before I go to sleep and I put my head on my pillow. Or for some people, it's just you sit in the chair finally. Yeah. When the day finally gets quiet, for me, the head goes on the pillow and I just, waves of guilt and shame would come over me. Mm. And, you know, I'm a theologian. And so if, I, if I'm, as I'm examining my day, thinking about my day, if I'm thinking about ways in which I've been greedy, I've, you know, spoken harshly, I need to repent mm -hmm. and, and bask in God's love. But when I started to think about it and look at it, it was amazing how often that guilt and shame was connected to one question. And it was this. Kelly, why didn't you do more today? Mm. Why didn't you get more done? Mm. 
And finally, at some point, it's like, wait, is that God? Yeah. Was I really always, because am I just perpetually bound to feel condemned all the time because mm. I didn't do more? Mm. And so this is a, the book partly is like, is God just perpetually disappointed? And this is not a book or, or even my experiences, an excuse for sloth or laziness. Yeah. But there is something between sloth and just endless ceaseless activity. Yeah. And a, a to-do list. So for me, that, that was a big part. And then the other part, which, as you mentioned, the suffering is, the short version is, in, in 2008, we got married in 1993, but in 2008, my wife got cancer. Mm. And it was a form of cancer that normally uh, a woman would get, like, in her 80s. And she mm. was in her 30s at the time. Wow. And we had two young kids. We were married nine years before we had them. And, um, and that was really hard. And I just... Um, Anyway, so it, it was just really hard. But a year later, after surgeries and things, she was eventually declared cancer-free. And wow. we thought, God, that was really hard, but you showed yourself faithful. You know, okay, there's scars, physical, emotional, et cetera, but we're through it. And then 2010, she was doing some work for this organization, Medair, and she called me from the side of the road. Um, and she'd just been meeting with pastors about some church planning opportunities. And I only mentioned that to say, She's doing God's work, right? Mm -hmm. She's doing, and she called me from the side of the road and said, my leg's not really working. I don't think I can drive our stick shift home. Wow. And from that day in the summer of 2010 to this day, there's never been a day without pretty serious pain and fatigue. Bless her heart. And chronic pain. Mm. And so with cancer, we had to cut down more and more. We're both kind of like, I don't know, type A or whatever. And we, I think we thought we had become more realistic. And then dealing with chronic pain, not just for her, but for a family. Yeah. All of a sudden we realized, no, we got to keep cutting. And that forced a lot of thinking. So long story short, God provided this grant for me uh, and the family to move to California. Um, and it was the basis with her encouragement to write a book called Embodied Hope on Pain and Suffering. Yeah. And finally, to get to your question then, I think only after wrestling through lament and the brokenness of our bodies and pain and suffering did I finally feel like I was able to write about the goodness of our limits. Mm. And that got back to me rethinking through how should I feel, how much should I get done in a day, in a week, in a lifetime. Yeah. So that, that's kind of me meandering through some of those. Those are some of the personal I'd love to stick there for a little bit. Talk about... As you're moving through the experiences of this level of brokenness, yeah. you know, you're facing something together as a couple that you, you know, maybe one day is going to come right. as you have loved your wife. You're going to get sick. She's going to get sick. A child could get sick. All of a sudden, it's here. Yeah. You didn't expect it. Yeah. Then you get through that. You come to a place where now there's this chronic pain mm. with, it doesn't sound like somebody's saying, oh, well, this is going to last about this long. Right, it sounds right. like this is an indefinite reality. Yep. For you personally, before you move towards being an author and writing something mm. that's going to help others, what did you practice yourself? What were the questions that God was giving you? Not so much to help others, because I think that sometimes yeah. people think we we think that way. It's right. like, what about you personally? Right. How yeah, was yeah. he meeting you? What were the things that you were doing just as means of grace to yeah. encourage you and keep your eyes on him? No, that's a, that's a good question. Um for me, lament, I mean, this gets more to the suffering part. Mm -hmm. uh, they're really learning the practice of lament that, you know, 35, 40% of the Psalms are, are laments. Mm -hmm. 
and that to really start to see how comfortable God is with our questions mm -hmm. and frustrations, like, God, why have you forsaken me? When someone prays that in your small group, you think, hey, we, we probably need to talk. You're not doing well. And you're like, no, Jesus prayed that. Yeah. And the psalmist prayed that in Psalm 22. So um, for me, that really opened up a lot. Um, how, how did you become comfortable with lament? I mean, you know it's in the scriptures. Yeah. You've read the, the laments. What was it like for you to get to a place of, this is good. Like, yeah. this, is, this is God's will for us to lament. What was that journey like for you? I think, I think whether it's consciously or subconsciously, I, like many of us, kind of pick up this idea, God doesn't want to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's inappropriate. It's a lack of faith. Yeah. And for me, coming to believe it's not a lack of faith, it's actually the expression of faith. And I guess the simplest way of putting it in terms of my own life, I think the shocker was by actually lamenting and getting honest with God, I finally felt heard. And for me, silence and alone time with God is just, I don't mean to sound super spiritual. I just don't know how, when I don't get it for a couple of days, it's just things don't go well. It's bad. Yeah. yeah, I get it. And I can feel in my soul. And, and for me, that has just been significant to go like, oh, he heard. And, you know, I'm a Presbyterian. Imagination makes us nervous. But it's been amazing to me to watch how in the silence, in the lament, in the, in the struggle, he brings things to heart and mind. Sometimes it's scripture. Sometimes it's, it's, it's like what word someone said to me. Or sometimes it's like this is where it can be. Or, yeah. this is, or these are words you should say to someone else, Kelly. Yeah. And for me to, to really like, we, it's cheesy. We talk about it's a relationship, not... But do we actually believe it? So for yeah. me to actually go like, oh, this really is a real relationship. Yeah. And I'm not going to him with a list of to-dos. We're like you were telling about your job description, which I love. The first word is abide. Mm -hmm. It was like finally learning to abide. Yeah. Like, oh, that's what this is. That statement, it's not a lack of faith. Mm. It's an expression of faith. Mm. Isn't that what you just yeah, said? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've heard somebody quite mm. say that's what a lament is. And I love that mm. because I do think that immediately we're like, well, I like faith if I'm mm. going to bring something like this to the Lord. And I've never heard someone mm. say, I finally felt heard. Mm. Talk about that more. Like when you, when you came to that realization, um, what was it like to, yeah. to believe my Father in heaven is, is really hearing me? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, think, I think the way I'd think about it and explain it is, is similar to how we treat one another. So going through this stuff, and it took us six years to get a diagnosis from the Mayo Clinic, and basically, like you said, and that's they, a long time. It's I mean, a long, six oh, so years. long. Wow. And and the good part isn't the diagnosis. The good part is finally when you find out you're not just crazy. This is going on. But in all of that, when you're dealing with this kind of stuff, it's amazing as Christians, well-meaning Christians, when people tell you about the difficulty, we respond by trying to solve it. You know, I can't tell you how many diets have been suggested to us and these pills or do this or go, you know, cacti like literally without asking, cactus juice is being sent to it, all these kind of things, well-meaning people. Sure. Or explanations where someone will say, well, maybe this is happening because the nurse you deal with is going to become a Christian or, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and in the book Embodied Hope, I talk about some of that and the reasons why it makes me nervous when we do that. Yeah. Why I, I actually don't think we should do that. 
So it, it will relate to your question because I, I think we feel this impulse when someone shares to try and solve it mm -hmm. or explain it. And people who suffer will tell you what's really powerful is when someone just listens yeah. and then they feel heard. Yeah. And that itself is a balm. Mm. Because, I, and what, just as a pastoral advice, when someone's really suffering or going through something, they're like, they're genuinely asking you, like, why is God allowing this? Mm -hmm. I just tell people, don't take that bait. Because mm. they, they might really mean it, but you and I are not qualified to answer that. And as soon as we do, we invite all kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. So, but what we can do is we can hear them mm -hmm. and we can lament with them before God. So for me, that kind of, when I get a small glimpse of that being heard by a sister or a brother, mm -hmm. help me start to imagine, oh, that's what God is doing here. Mm -hmm. He's not there just to lecture me. He's not naive about the pain and the suffering and the complexity and the relational parts of this. He's really, he's there. Yeah. Um, because he's not promised to even fix us. No, yeah, right? exactly. He doesn't promise to deliver us from pain. Yep. He tells us we're going to have pain yep. in one form or another, but he does promise to give us himself. Yes. And that whole ministry of presence mm. from another human being, a brother and sister in Christ, but also the ultimate presence of God. Yeah. How have you learned to experience that in a, in a way that is transformational? Yeah, I mean, for me, even to build on what we we're, as you were talking about that, for me, it's been significant to realize when me or someone else is asking why or what does God think about this, the only actual answer I can give them is to take them to Jesus mm -hmm. and show them him bleeding and weeping and dying on a cross. Mm -hmm. That's what he thinks about all the brokenness in the world, including our physical pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. That's very different than a mad scientist who's just like, I'm sovereign and I'm just having this big game. Yeah. God's sovereignty is never more clear than Christ on the cross bleeding and dying. That yeah. doesn't look like sovereignty though. Yeah, that's right. And so for me, that the humanity of Jesus, the full, Humanity of Jesus has been so healing. Mm. And that has been the avenue for me to really feel like I'm heard. Mm -hmm. That when I'm then with God and this sympathetic high priest to actually think, oh, these aren't just trite words. Like, this is very real. God's so serious about my pain. Not just an abstract theory of, of sin, but actually physical suffering and stuff matters to God. Yeah. Um, he loves his creation. That's why the son enters in, becomes fully human, a full creature, and that's not sinful. That doesn't make the, the son a sinner because he becomes a creature. Mm -hmm. Anyways, there's, those were longer conversations, but I hope that makes some yeah, sense. Yeah, well, I think it's so encouraging. One of the series we've done through Deep Light has been on grief, and maybe my favorite mm. series. Um, we did one on mental health, too, which mm. was also very, very good. Um, but I'm... I'm with people who have experienced profound grief. Sure. Uh, loss of a child, loss of a wife, mm. you know, just somebody that they love dearly. And one of my favorite statements was from a gentleman named Sam Joyner who lost mm. his wife to cancer very young, mm. um, died very fast. And I asked him, I said, when you heard the news, mm. what did you do? And he said, I cursed God. Mm. 
I, I drove, he said, yeah. he believed what he goes, I drove, I had to be in court, he's an attorney, and I gave him every foul word yeah. I could think of. Yeah. And God just prompted me to ask the question, what did you sense his posture to be towards mm. you when you did that? He said, he wrapped his arms yep, exactly. around me. And then he said something I'd never heard. Mm. He said, God gave me the gift of grief mm. to give me the gift of himself. Mm. And so that's what we talked about. Yeah. It's like, what does that mean yeah. to have the gift of God, the gift of himself? And it's that presence, which I think for so many believers, they don't really understand yeah. or, or know. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think part of that has to do with they feel like they do need to explain why right. um, or to give a promise that this is going away. Or in mm. a worse scenario, because of sin, this is what, because of what you've done right, or right, your right. lack of faith, this is right. why you're not getting better or your loved one's not getting right. better. Yeah. So talk about limits. Mm. I'm wondering, even in this transition, is the limits that we have in regards to knowledge of what's going on, mm. um, the limits of knowing what to say, mm. if we just hate limits so much yeah. that we just find that to be so awkward, so uncomfortable, yeah. that instead of just being present and offering the hope that really is the presence of mm. Christ, we usher into saying foolish things, doing mm. foolish things. And you know, I know that's not all that limits are about, but I think that's part of it. Yeah. It's just like we feel the limits, we hate the limits, yep. they expose weakness, we don't like being weak, yep. therefore we're not gonna listen to the Lord and say. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question, and there's a there's a lot there. So um, I don't. I think it's an example of where we have no idea how culturally conditioned we've been. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating to think uh, the the theological idea driving the book "You're Only Human" is finitude is not sin, mm -hmm. and finitude is a fancy word. We don't use it a lot, but it just means limits of space, time, knowledge, mm -hmm. and power. But so the, say that again. Limits the, yeah, of, limits. Finitude means limits of space, time, knowledge, and power. Yeah. Technically, it doesn't even necessarily have to mean death, mm -hmm. it, but it does mean these kind of limits. And mm -hmm. in Christian language, that's just another fancy way of saying creature. Yeah. So there's God, who's a creator, and then everything else, including humans, which are creatures. And it's fascinating because I, we, I think, confuse our limits, and we think like they're always sinful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they can be sinful in terms of when we've been negligent and all of this. But at what point, you know, even the way we train children, like they need to always be smarter, be more. I mean, we, so many kids, so many young parents are dealing with this. They're so worn out, but they can't do everything. They can't be everywhere. They're, and, and, and it just creates all this tension. So to get to your more particular question, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this German theologian, he was involved in this movement against Hitler, but he had this great treatment of this in the early 20th century. And basically, the, the idea is Adam and Eve, before there's any sin, the question is, uh, I have a chapter on humility. The question is, should Adam and Eve have been humble before there was sin in the fall? Hmm. Because for a lot of us Christians, we've actually linked the idea of humility with sin. Hmm. So we think we should be humble because we're sinners. The fact that we're sinners should contribute to humility, but that's not why we should be humble. We should be, be humble because we're creatures. Mm -hmm. And so here is how it all fits together. Part of the goodness of creation, not the fall, 
not sin. Part of the goodness is God made us as human creatures to be dependent on God, dependent on neighbor, and dependent on the earth. That dependence is good. Yeah. It's a gift. And sin is not what makes us dependent. Sin is what twists and distorts those dependencies. Right? That's great. I love that. But think about it. If you know, if I'm talking to someone and I, and, you know, I, I tell you, hey, Matt and I were talking earlier. I spent some time with him, and Matt just seems really dependent on a lot of people. In our culture, does that ever sound like a positive? Yeah. Like it yeah. sounds like I'm yeah. saying something really negative, right? So how in the world do we imagine Christian discipleship in our day in our culture? when dependence for us is almost always purely negative. Yeah. The whole goal is to be independent. Yet for Christian discipleship, it is to grow, whether it's dealing with your vocation, whether it's dealing with children, until we get a healthy view of limits, that it's okay to say no. Not just to bad things, but sometimes to good things. Mm -hmm. um, the Christian life just sounds exhausting rather than life-giving. Okay, unpack that. That's a great yeah. statement. I think I know what you mean. Mm. But unpack that. Like, what, what about that resonates so deeply with you? And I'd like to add a layer to that. You've been a professor at Covenant mm. College for how many years? 22. Okay. How has it changed? Like, mm. how have you seen the culture conformity to this idea that limits essentially are bad? Yeah. Have you seen it change? Yeah. And if so, how? Yeah. Well, maybe we'll start with that. So, when I started researching this book full time, and I didn't plan to look into high schools and college, you know, but it became important. So here's the average day of a high school kid in a middle upper middle class home. It, it, in a lower class, in, and it doesn't have to, it could be private or public. In lower income areas, this is not necessarily the case, but public or private, the average day of a high school kid right now in America looks like this. They leave home about 7.30 in the morning, they're in class till about 3.30. They'll change and then they go and do some extracurricular. It could be theater, robotics, a sport. They do that till 6.30 or so. They run home, take a shower, throw in some food, and then they're off to another extracurricular activity and or homework till about 10 or 11 at night. Yeah. Every day. Every day. And they are worn out. And what's fascinating to me is we now think that's normal. And, and right. And if you're not doing it, you're lazy. And it's another conversation, but it's interesting. People say, yeah, but they only do that because they spend so much time in front of screens, right? But I have started, I used to blame the internet, and, but now I've started to see, I actually think our smartphones and social media and stuff, they're not the problem. They're a sign of a larger malady. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons why we constantly look at our phones or, or do Netflix binges because the endless demands on us require that we stay distracted, otherwise we feel crushed. So, you know, I had a college student a couple years ago as we were talking about this and we had lunch together and she put a paper in front of me and she said, here's my week. 24 hours, every, every hour of a, of a seven day week had a block. Wow. And she said, I, I put on this schedule, um, I try to put on there everything that people I respect, my parents, uh, pastor, professor like you, you guys say I should do, so I've tried to do it, right? And she color-coded it, wonder, you know, and I'm looking at it, so she says, you guys say, sleep matters, eight hours of sleep a day, so I put that down. You say, I'm a Christian, I should spend some time praying and, and reading the Bible, I'll put it in there. 
I should eat three meals a day and not just shove it in, but actually talk to someone, so I put the time. I'm in class for 18 hours a week, so, but I don't just show up in class. It takes time to walk to class, walk back to class. Two hours outside of class. When I, anyways, you see where I haven't even talked oh, yeah. about job. I haven't talked about church stuff. I haven't. And the aha moment for her was to realize it's literally impossible for me to do everything you all say I should do. Yeah. And that is a fascinating thing mm. because I think what's happened is Christians have answered this no different than non-Christians. When we start to talk about these issues of the stress, the anxieties, the mental health, we often say you need better time management. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's primarily a time management problem. I think it's a theological and pastoral problem. Yeah. And I'm not, again, some, some of us need to be pushed against sloth and some of that. But for a lot of us, we need to realize being busy is not godly. That's not the same. Yeah, you, you know, for example, if somebody, you know, you get on an elevator, you know them, hey, how are you? Right. Staying busy? Right. Says, not really. Right. <laughs> I, I've got a lot of free time. I've got pretty good boundaries. You know, that immediately is not seen yeah. as You're being admiration. Yeah. 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 You know, when you went down the list of all the things that are um, in a high school student's yeah. day, the expectation then is that there's a voice behind each of those. Yeah. Basically saying don't have limits. Yeah. You know, at least not yeah. on my thing. Yeah. And that includes pastors. Yeah. And youth pastors. Yeah. And small group leaders, right? It's just in other yep. words, it's just one more voice yep. that's casting this incredible um cloud of demand. Yeah. And then you've got the peer realities yeah. of, well, they're advancing. I guess this is normal. Competition. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and it's 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 actually dangerous. It's it's quite dangerous. I was on the um Principals Advisory Council of, of the the closest uh, you know public school here, which all three of my oldest kids attended, and it's an amazing school. Mm. It's always ranked in the top academically and athletically. So mm. it's very unique that way because a lot of schools across the country are one or the other. Yeah. The schools both and right. always in the top ten. Mm. Pressure is unbelievable, and there's pride in that, you yeah. know, which you could understand from a worldly standpoint. Right. I was. You know, not there because I was the pastor of this mm. church. I was there because I was a friend of the principal who just wanted my perspective. Mm. And I always asked, what's the unintended consequence yeah. of this excellence? Mm. And they were always able to name it and then do nothing. Yeah. That's where I'm frustrated. Yeah. I think the church is doing the same thing. Yep. We'll name it, we'll blame something, but I don't think we're blaming bad theology yeah. or bad pastoral care. Right. When are we going to start doing that? Yeah. What does that look like? How do we truly repent from that right. meaning turn so that there can be something that's far more life-giving yeah. according to the way God would prescribe it? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. And the dialogue about that is multiple hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, a lot of my work is often actually with pastors mm -hmm. and others. And it is a fascinating thing. I do think pastors are, are right, right in the center of some of this because... Well, I, I remember this informal survey was given, and it, it wasn't technically perfectly done, so I couldn't use it in the book. But basically, you ask congregation members, how many hours in a week do you think your pastor should do these things? And it was a well-written survey in the sense of the people filling it out didn't recognize what was going on. Yeah. And so people thought they were being generous. Like, how many hours should your pastor normally do, like, premarital counseling for people? I'm like, ah, maybe five hours. How many hours should they spend doing sermon prep, right? And they added up, and they often at the end thought they were being generous. But then when all the hours were added up, it was like 
90 hours or more a week. Yeah. And you're like, do you, do you realize what's going on here? And I know so many pastors who are just burned out. Mm -hmm. And COVID obviously exasperated it. Well, the reason why that matters is most congregation members don't want their pastors, quote unquote, overworked. Right. But if you're a pastor and you tell them, yeah, I can't, I can't meet you until nine in the morning because that time is for prayer or something. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, everyone wants their pastor praying, yeah, but, not, but no, no one actually wants. At least we can't meet. Yeah and, yeah, and I think to move away from pastors for all of us, you know, I'll just say what most of us won't say. Like, we all know we should pray more. Most, most Christians are like, prayer matters. Yeah, and I, I probably should pray more. But I've actually come to think, at least in the Western world, the reason why most of us, many of us don't pray very well is because if we're honest, it's just inefficient. Yeah. It's a waste of time because it's not getting things done. Yeah. And, and even how we imagine prayers, like, it's this list and trrr, it's not abiding. Certainly in listening. Yeah, in listening. And, and But you're like, well, actually, relationships, that's exactly how they work. Yeah. So I do think there's an inefficiency in the Christian life because one of the most inefficient things you can do in your world is in this world is love. Mm-hmm. And God's, for me, this was a shocker because I love efficiency and productivity. Mm-hmm. And to really discover God's highest priority is not efficiency and productivity, it's love. It's not that he doesn't care about those other things, you know. And then you think, well, what's the most inefficient thing you can do? And it's love. Mm-hmm. Like, have a baby, see how that goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> have a puppy, you know. <laughs> All these yeah. things, yeah. Take dem- they make yeah. demands on you. And, and so that, I just think, forces us to reimagine the Christian life in some ways. And it is when we talk about these things, it's often, you know, a congregation or, you know, if I'm speaking at a school at the end, they're like, this makes so much sense, I love this. And then they'll ask, basically, so how can we do everything we've been doing and have this? And that's the, that's the <laughs> you, know, like, you, can't. you can't, that's the point. Yeah. And it's not just about saying no to bad things, it's unfortunately having to to recognize the reality we have bodies, we need sleep, you can only be in so many relationships. Yeah, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else, Um, and vice versa. Where do you think our view of God's design as it relates to Sabbath rest, Mm. the Sabbath in general, which we, you know, I'm not necessarily a strict Sabbatarian, but I believe deeply that in our our disobedience, our rejection of kind of how he prescribes life should be lived, yeah. that would be most fruitful. We, that, that doesn't right. remotely look like anything I think he would yeah. have prescribed. Yeah. Have you even thought to that? Oh, yeah. Um, I, and I think there's two parts to it. I think there's a, week, a daily rest and then that weekly rest, right? right? Uh, right. Part of what was fun doing the book is thinking through a theology of sleep yeah. and starting to realize... Biblically, the reason why you and I can sleep is because God never does. And it's kind of like, I mean, if you're on the front lines, you can't fall asleep. But if someone's got your back, you could actually get a little bit of sleep. Yeah. And you start to think about it theologically, like, how does a non-Christian sleep? Because you're holding up this whole universe. You kind of, and you're like, no, as Christians, rest and sleep is an act of faith. Mm. It's actually an act. And then when you talk about Sabbath, you know, the Lord's Day, it's fascinating. You know, you and I work in PCA and... So in some circles, if you bring up Sabbath, it's understandably because it's been very legalistic. Mm-hmm. It, everyone's just like, ah. Yeah, don't talk about that. 
But it's interesting when I'm in just broad evangelical circles who haven't really ever thought about the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, God kind of seems to have made the world with this one in seven rhythm. It's in the mm -hmm. Ten Commandments. And what a, can you imagine where there's a day where you're supposed to sleep and worship with God's people and feast with other, you know, mm -hmm. and rest and enjoy God's creation and da da. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's funny in those circles, like, no, that's too good to be true. Yeah. And, and I can even testify, like, students, college students from Christian families feel guilty if they're not studying on Sunday. Yeah. So we have catechized one another to never stop working. Yeah. And that it's a moral problem when we do. Yeah. And so I, I think one of the great gifts Christians can give in the Western world right now is this gift of a vision of rest. That's a very countercultural. I mean, I, I the follow-up book I'd love to write. I'd like to call it "Go Therefore and Make Humans." Hmm. From the you know, because discipleship in, in our increasingly inhumane world, I think, is helping. Is Christians telling the world, "Let me tell you about how God made us." For for God, He made us for each other. He made us for the earth. To be a Christian is not superhuman. It's to connect you to be truly and fully human, hmm. and that means good hard work. And good rest. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's important. Hmm. You know, I think about the um, the demands of what God required, what he called us to, what hmm. we have in Christ in response to that. And then I look at just the rhythms that are present in our culture. Hmm. And I'm talking about the church now. Yeah. And anxiety, so high. Fear, so high. Depression, so high. And then the means by which we've pursued coming that, I mean, from medicine to books to counseling, which I'm a fan mm. of all those things, but it doesn't seem to be making mm. that much of a difference. And I think part of it is because nothing is being subtracted. Mm. There is not a sense of, of, you know, really abiding in yeah. the way in which we need to abide, which is daily, it's ongoing, but then also the rhythm of what does maybe a, a weekly cycle look right. like according to what scripture said. And I, I have a lot of passion for this subject, mm. you know, in my own life personally, serving at this church, what mm. they've allowed, but I recognize the culture we're in. It's so countercultural yeah. to think any different so than we have because it looks like weakness. Yep. It looks like laziness. Yep. Yet, if people will talk one-on-one, -on -one, everybody's saying, I'm desperate for yeah. that. Yeah. But nobody, it seems, is willing to say, I'm willing to say no yeah. or, or to say no to that coach yeah. or that administrator or that yeah. pastor. Yeah that this is what it's doing and eroding my, I mean, there's a book called Sabbath, and um, I don't know much about the author. It was written quite some time ago, but I love what he says about a rejection of the Sabbath. Mm. In a paraphrasing, he says, we become violent people mm. because we aren't yeah. being the people that we've been made to be. Yeah. So without sleep, without rest, yeah. we make unwise decisions. We yeah. give poor counsel, yeah. and he uses that frame violent. Yeah. And I was like, that's so strong. Yeah. And yet if you think about what's happening in the air that our children are breathing, yep. the, the students on your campus are yep. breathing, it's just toxic. Yeah. And it's just keep going, keep going, yep. keep going. When is it going to stop? You know, yeah. at what point will, will somebody or a group of people say, it's really got to look different than it yeah. does now. Yeah. And this is what that might yeah. mean. Um, so, I think that's so. I think you're probably quoting from Abram Heschel, who's a Jewish author. Yeah, yeah. And that in that book, and it is a beautiful little book on the Sabbath, where he's like, Yahweh gave sacred 
not not just space, but sacred time. Yeah. And what is that? What does that look like? And and you know that book's a hundred years old, and it's still so countercultural. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do think it's a gift for us to try and. I mean, think about the language we use. We're like, I feel crushed. I feel stressed. I feel pulled. Mm -hmm. It's all these things where it's actually like things are being done to us. Mm -hmm. And so, what does it look like? to reimagine life. And I think at its best, it takes communities to do this, not just individuals. Yeah, You have to, because you need other, like, for example, just a concrete example. It's very hard for me to ever say I'm done. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, just as a silly example, sometimes my wife will see me working on the computer and she'll, she'll like, are you doing work right now? And I'm like, yeah. She says, you're done. And she'll say, go watch ESPN, right? And, and we laugh about it, but the reason why that's meaningful is it's if, if I look in the mirror and say, Kelly, you're done, you've done enough for today um, of that kind of work or whatever, I just think I'm being lazy to myself, like yeah. I'm just lying to myself. But if she says it, then I can go, oh, okay, I should go for a walk. I can, do, I can watch ESPN. And so I do think you need other people to speak into this. And sometimes those other people will say, yeah, you, need to, you actually need to do more work. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes they can, they can help us navigate. Are, are we doing too much with our kids? What does this look like? So, no, I, I think that's important because I think when we talk about the means of grace being mm -hmm. you know, the sacraments, the word, prayer, things like that. But I think the idea of community and fellowship is a big part of that where when we can recognize hey, there's something in you that's not healthy mm. or there's something in us that's not healthy. Mm. What, what are we doing? We think about that as a church staff all the time. Like, yeah. all right, we're about to add seven things to the calendar. Right. This is how that's going to impact people. Are we thinking about the unintended mm -hmm. consequences? I want to go another level. Did we even ask God? Yeah. Is this what we should be mm. doing? Did we press something as yeah. opposed to saying, Father, give us wisdom about the church calendar, give yeah. us wisdom about what we should offer. Because the pressure, you know, which often isn't even spoken or directed, right. is that it's gotta be bigger, it's gotta be more, yep. it's gotta be everything advancing yeah. all the time as yeah. opposed to maybe not. Yeah. Maybe that's not what the Lord wants. Yeah. Maybe there should be less. And I actually, I think there should be less. Yeah. You know, we've just overwhelmed people and their calendars even as the church. Yeah, and that relates to where you were talking about earlier in terms of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. So where we are being shaped by the world and the church right now is bigger, better, stronger, growing, mm -hmm. happier, whatever. And that works until it doesn't. Yeah. And for families in the church where all of a sudden they're dealing with a mental, dis you know, a mental illness mm -hmm. or chronic pain, you know, the church does pretty well at short-term things. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with like, no, our child has this issue, we're dealing with this chronic pain, this person has cancer, it's really hard. And those people have often found the church surprisingly unhelpful and even hurtful mm -hmm. because they're no longer, quote unquote, thriving. Yeah. And so with the bigger, stronger, better, they don't fit and they'll start to move into the background yeah. and often stop coming because you, they're the ones who help us see, oh, without realizing it, we have become a self-improvement. That's what we're doing here, and that's not the gospel, right? Yeah. And so they, they actually offer us a great gift to remember, to remember what, what it is we actually believe mm. and what does that look like. Yeah. Um, 
that's so strong. Maybe in our last bit of time together, um, let's talk about beauty. I don't know mm. why that's brought to my mm. mind, but when I think about the promise of, of rest mm. and the promise of, or the freedom and, you know, there's time to be present with a mm. person, it really does sound beautiful, even mm. to a non-believer. Yeah. You, know, you can yeah. talk to them about what would a day look like if yeah. you didn't, it looks beautiful. Yeah. What we've been describing as our reality, conforming to the pattern of the world, is not beautiful. Yeah. But it seems like instead of pausing and saying, okay, it's not beautiful, it really isn't. Mm. This isn't healthy, it's actually dangerous. Right. We're actually believing that we can make it beautiful mm. by adding more, right. as opposed to admitting we've missed yep. the beauty that God has prescribed for mm. us because we've missed Him. Yep. We Absolutely. don't have time with Him. And I love how you've gone back, and you started with this, with the relationship. Mm. It's a relationship, mm. and relationships are inefficient. Yeah. Relationships require time, mm. but they are so beautiful, mm. even when suffering yeah. and grief is present. Because, yeah. anyway, talk about that for a minute. I love that you brought that up. and. Again, you know, it's a longer conversation, but I, I love it. I, I mean, it makes me think. So, <clears throat> Bruce Herman, there was a guy I know who had been, he's an artist in um, the New England area and specializes in portraits and painting people's faces in particular. Mm -hmm. And I remember years ago talking to him about it, and he said to me that he's never seen an ugly face. Hmm. And initially I thought, that's kind of cheesy, that's not true. Mm -hmm. But boy, do I now totally believe him. Hmm. And I think it's, it's one of these amazing things. Like you, you only see beauty when you slow down and actually look. Mm -hmm. You know, there's these fascinating um, psychological studies. Um, and, and an artist even did one of these uh, like living installations. So you, you can, if you have two people, well, I'll just use the artist example. She would sit in a chair, and this is in a museum, but it's areas blocked off. And you could sign up and you could then sit in a chair looking into her eyes for 10 or 15 minutes. It was something like that. No words ever exchanged or anything. And they filmed this. Hmm. And it's stunning how often at first it's kind of uncomfortable. There's mm -hmm. guilt. And then eventually you start to see people crying. Wow. And all this just profound emotion gets exchanged. And often it ends, she will give them a hug sometimes. But I think when you actually look at the face and sometimes it looks cracked, sometimes you're like, you start to see the beauty. Mm. And the, cause it's the narrative, it's the yeah. story, it's the, both our wounds and our delights. Yeah. And, and so I do think one of the problems with rushing so much like we are is it makes it hard to see. Mm. It makes it hard to see God, it makes it hard to see the beautiful in the midst of the broken. Yeah. And part of our constant prayer is to have eyes to see and ears to hear. We're, it's, God is working, it's just will we see and hear yeah. it. And I don't, it's hard to do that if we're going so fast. You know, I'm reminded even in that, with that picture of, I've been married just a little bit longer than you mm. and your wife. Um, we celebrated 32 years in May. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Got here fast. Yeah. <laughs> but just recently, I was thinking about my children you know, I have two still at home, three adult children, mm. and um, just am I looking at their faces? Mm. Like, am I giving time and space enough to the things that matter 
in, in a godly way so much to me? Yeah. Am, I, am I sitting still, mm. even if they're distant, one of my kids is in school, right. others are here, am I really gazing even mm. at the memory? Am I looking at pictures mm. and not just going, hey, I remember that, I remember that, I remember that, and being like, uh, and then my wife, wow. 32 years, so much mm. I can still learn about her face, yeah. so much I can still learn about her mind. Mm. But if I don't take time, mm. and not a little time, yeah. a lot of time, just to do that, I miss the beauty that's there. Mm. And that's, I think it, for people listening to this, think about that. Like yeah. the very people that mean most to you, that are so beautiful to you, you're just racing, yeah. racing by yeah. so much more time. I'm not saying this is even evil, it's just like moving that you just yeah. don't even see one another's face. Absolutely. We even notice if you know something changed. Yeah. Now think about that with God. Yeah. And we have so many things mm. in our world today, including podcasts now, mm. right? Yeah. That are helping people have more knowledge about the Lord and how mm. to be a disciple center than we've ever had in the history mm. of the world. But I think people know him yeah. so much less. Yeah. So much about him, but truly knowing him yeah. and his presence and his power and his peace. Yeah. So much less. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a that's a good and often convicting word, you know. Mm -hmm. But to to see, including the people we love yeah. and who are around us, is is not easy. I mean, I, I think about even like when I'm dealing with students. Sometimes they come in my office and I have to yeah take a breath and like yeah. be. I, I have a friend who's a, a pastor, and I'll never forget this. A couple years ago, we we're talking, and he was at a Christmas party, and he told me he actually had to walk into the other room all by himself and just. He just kept stomping the ground with his foot, and he kept saying to himself, I am here. Mm. I am here. Yeah. I am here. And it made so much sense to me. Because he was there, but he wasn't there. Yeah. And he had to like physically reconnect in order to go back in where everyone was and be fully present. Yeah. And I just think that's powerful. Like Whether it's with a spouse, a child, or a neighbor, a coworker, what are ways that we can be present? And it's very hard to be present when we're always rushing. Yeah, so. I think that's so powerful. Um, not long ago, I was on a we do silent retreats. Mm. And oh wow, that's great! Yeah, you need to. You you would you would love it. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to talk I'm about that fan. at some point. Yeah, and um, we have one coming up in September. When we mm. go to Colorado, but I had encouraged. Um, the the way it works is you you come on a Saturday, Thursday. Usually, we take a vow of silence that mm. night, and then all day Friday, all day Saturday, and most of Sunday up until mm. dinner, you're you talk to nobody right. except. 15 to 20 minutes with one person um, on Friday and Saturday. Check in. Yep. Even meals, there's no talking. Yep. So you yep. eat at a table, but you don't, you yep. don't talk. The only thing you hear is scripture being read. And one of the things I had encouraged the men to do was to go to one of the crosses on this camp's mm -hmm. property. There's three of them. And I said, just sit there and um, be in the presence of the Lord, mm. you know, and cast your sins and receive forgiveness, all those things. Mm. So I was doing that too. And then, you know, when you talk about being silent and you hear the Lord, mm. and we know what that means. It's yeah, a thought yeah. we didn't have. It's right. a verse we hadn't considered. And it was a simple question. Are you here at the foot of the cross, Mark, with me or for me? Mm. And that changed my life. Mm. Because that's powerful. everything has to be done with him to be fruitful, mm. but we can do so much for, not with him yeah. that's just for him. Yeah. And if we're going to do it with him, it will be for him. Yeah. But I thought, oh my goodness. So now every conversation mm. I'm entering into, 
from the place I'm sitting to the pulpit? Am I doing it for him mm. or am I doing it with him? That's so good. And there's a lot of me stomping my foot on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I love that image yeah. saying, be present. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here. Because I've gotten to a place in my rhythm of schedule where I look like I can have pretty good rhythm mm. and pretty good yeah. presence. Um, but the greatest victims are my my children and my sure. wife. Is that I'm there, I'm I'm there than maybe more than most right. dads or pastors. But my mind is it's somewhere so else, yeah. you know. And so, to to repent of that, and yeah. I mean repentance in the way of it's meant life beautiful, yeah. life giving. Turn, yeah. Be still. Know that I'm God. Yeah. Be still. Know yeah. what you're looking at. I think is so, so important. Good. Yeah. That's a good word. No, thank you. Well, I really have enjoyed our time, mm. and um, I don't know when the Lord will have you back in Dallas again or me uh, on the mountain at Covenant mm. College, but yeah. I would love to continue these conversations sure. um, because I think there's so much that mm. God's given you through your own experiences mm. that are really re you know, just reaping incredible rewards, uh, and That's to see how you. can the Lord, we know mm. he can, really do a shift in the hearts and minds of his people to see what's really beautiful. Mm. All, and with this, you know, I think about Psalm 119 a lot, mm. and just all the different verses. But recently I took our elders to two verses in that, and the first one was, um, open my eyes to behold wondrous things. Mm. And a few verses later, it's turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Mm. And I think about how much of our time is spent each day looking at worthless things, yeah. not even I don't mean even just lustful, pornography. Right, 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 right. That could be a part of it for some people, for sure. Right. But just all the other things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. And we need both. You yeah. know, we need the Lord open my eyes. And so I had each yeah. of our elders at a session meeting spend time mm. answering the questions, but I had them do it in opposite order. I said, I want you to start with what are the worthless things mm. that you've been looking at today? Mm. Let's just list them. Yeah. And then what's the you know, what's the medicine for that sickness? Mm. It's dependence. You mm. used that phrase earlier. It's dependence. He doesn't say, I'm opening my eyes. He says, open my eyes right. to behold wondrous things. Mm. And to me, that's the, the, the remedy to, you know, yeah. turning from worthless things. That's really good. I love that. That's a good word. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your time and pray that with you and your son being here in Dallas, it's a rich blessing to you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you for coming alongside us today. I hope that you've been encouraged by what you've heard. Um, na name your books. And, is there a website or anything like that that you can offer people? That they yeah, can... the easiest thing, uh, the two that we've talked about are, uh, the most recent is called You're Only Human. And, and Embodied Hope. And Embodied Hope. Yeah. So. so they're tremendous resources. We'll put those in the show notes so that you can access those. Uh, but you might need more than just reading a book. You might need to walk alongside a person just mm. like we've talked about. And if you're in Dallas and you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to visit here. And if you're somewhere else in the world, I, I guarantee you, um, if you reach out, we can help you find a place where you mm. can walk alongside other believers who can tell you the beauty and the freedom that we mm. have in our Lord and Savior Christ. I think you can tell by the, um, the integrity of this conversation that we haven't got it all figured out. <laughs> we struggle. We struggle to practice the things that we know to be true. But that's part of the beauty. That's when we come to the place of saying, Christ Jesus, once again, turn our eyes upon you that we might behold your wonder. So friends, thanks for watching. You can reach out to us at deeplight at pcpc.org or 214-224-2500. God bless.
Thank you for listening to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. We would love for you to be our guest this Sunday morning as we gather together for worship at 8, 9.30, or 11 a.m. We are located in the Uptown Dallas area at the corner of Oakland Avenue and Wycliffe Avenue. To find out more, please visit pcpc.org.